Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Welcome to a very special edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. We are at the LIU Athletic Center in Brooklyn, New York, in advance of the weigh-in between Deontay Wilder and Dominic Brazil. And Eric, uh, things are starting to get ready here. As you folks can probably tell, there's a little bit of background music. It's not Eric. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we're sitting here right in front of the commission tables. Uh, fighters are coming in, getting ready. There's some of them. We've got Dominic Brazil behind us just signing in now. We almost uh, had a little bit of accident of timing when Deontay Wilder's team showed up just as Dominic Brazil's team did. But everything passed fine. Nobody got murdered. All is well. <laughs> yes, indeed. As, as far as we know, uh, no, no skirmishes, no words exchanged even from what I could tell from right. here. They were kept apart, but uh, that won't be the case uh, for too much longer because in just a little bit they'll be up on those scales, uh, on, the, on the scale on the stage over there, uh, right up in each other's faces. Uh, that is a stare down that I'm looking forward to because of the bad blood, the bad words, all the build up to this. Uh, it's going to be intense, and uh, this is just one of those times where if you're one of those peripheral people on the stage, you want to be able to brace yourself, be, be ready to move, be on your toes, because this is one of those that could get a little testy. Yeah, so when they had the press conference to announce this fight, and we talked about this with Steven Espinosa, Brian Custer was right there between the two of them, and he was smart enough that at uh, Thursday's press conference to make sure that there were a couple of security guys between him and Wilder and Brazil this time. He's a smart man, that Brian Gaster. It may take a little while, but but he figured, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's one of those deals where sometimes as a fight gets closer, you think, all right, they've said their piece. Maybe it's going to chill out a little bit. Uh, this, this is just going to keep ramping up until these guys get into the ring. It has been, whatever the circumstances, the exact circumstances were of what happened in that hotel lobby in Alabama, um, as we've talked about in the past, as you've done podcasts on, oral history podcasts, fighters can develop hatred of each other for very odd reasons. Um, <laughs> I think I know what you're referring to. <laughs> you know, be it, spit, be it falling over in the snow and Oscar de la Hoya laughing at you, as in the case of Fernando Vargas. But these two guys and their families literally came to blows in a hotel lobby. It's cranked up ever since. The good thing is, over the last couple of days, Deontay Wilder has done his best to put a break on it, to calm things down, and under no circumstances push it up to a whole other level. Is the sarcasm coming through in podcast land? That's that's the question. Can you all detect the sarcasm <laughs> in my partner's voice on that one? Yeah, Deontay said some things this week that uh, got a lot of attention. Uh, I wish I had the exact quote in front of me. I don't. But the bottom line is that he said he's coming in the ring to kill his opponent. You know, people have, there's been a lot of reaction to it uh, in, in all sorts of different ways. I'm going to give my take on it. I have no idea what yours is. We haven't discussed this uh, this yet. Uh, we may be in agreement. We may be coming at this from very different perspectives. So when I was working at the ring in the late 90s, early 2000s, at some point there, my boss, Nigel Collins, made the editorial decision that when some when one of our writers would write the words, moved in for the kill, he changed it to move in for the finish. He felt, having watched boxing for decades, that it was just 
not that it was in poor taste, that it was tasteless to use the word kill as it pertained to boxing, a sport where people do die in the ring sometimes. Um, and some people can say, yeah, you're being overly sensitive. Obviously, it's metaphorical. They're not literally talking about killing, uh, although Deontay Wilder, <laughs> you know, tried to clarify that he means it literally, even if he doesn't really mean that, that's what he was saying. I think it was in really poor taste from Deontay. I think it was not necessarily something that he should walk back, because once you've said it, I suppose go ahead and own it. But um, again, call, call me overly sensitive if you want. I think it's one of those words that in this sport, where we've seen it far too many times, somebody dies, somebody doesn't make it out of the ring with their life intact. To use that word, you can't just throw that around. I think it's fine to say, I want to knock him cold. Uh, but when you take it to that next level, uh, knock it dead, essentially. And to me, that's over the line, and I think that, uh, that the flack Deontay has taken for that is warranted. I, if I were advising him, I would tell him, knock that off. What, what's your take on it here? Yeah, so he said a lot of words about all of this, and, and some of them uh, I think are fine. So, like, when he initially was saying to a gaggle of reporters something to the effect of, you ask any doctor, you're not supposed to get hit in the head. It's extremely dangerous. Um, and when he said stuff like, this is the only sport where you can kill someone and get paid, that is not an untrue statement. No. And I'm always fine with statements that remind people of how incredibly dangerous boxing is and that we are expecting people to punch each other in the head and sort of pretend that there aren't necessarily the danger of those kind of consequences. I, I'm, I'm always fine with making people uncomfortable about what boxing truly entails. Um, that said, if it was, if what he was saying was in the context of, you know what, we're really going to go for it, we're going to go to war, and it is dangerous, and there's always the chance that somebody could get hurt because this is what happens, this is what you're asking us to do, 230 pound men hit each other in the head, that's one thing. But to start it off by saying, I actively want a body. Right. I want to go out there and add a body to my own. He doesn't. Right. He does not want to do that. Right, absolutely. He, and, but the key, the, he was not mincing words. That, right. and, I, and I didn't do a good job explaining that between the literal, literally and figuratively, but he was sort of given an opportunity to clarify, Right. you know, I don't really mean kill him, but... He stuck with it. Right, right. And that's it. There has been some, you know, like, pearl, pearl clutching here. It's like, like, it's been an element of of boxing. It was the plot of Ivan Drago against Apollo Creed. And Mike Tyson became famous partly by saying things like, I want to drive my opponent's nose up into his brain. Right. It's been a part of that, rightly or wrongly, uh, of, of, the, of publicizing boxing for an awfully long time. But... And he said, hey, look, you know, other boxers have said worse, and people have talked about Mike saying that he wanted to eat Lennox Lewis's children. But Mike saying that he wanted to eat Lennox Lewis's <laughs> children is so obviously a caricaturist thing to say. Right. There is not a track record of boxers eating other boxers' children. <laughs> there is a track record of boxers killing other boxers. Right. Um, and that is a more likely consequence of two men getting in the ring together than somebody's offspring, you know, being rotated on a spit and eaten. Um, so... <laughs> Well, you've really thought through the preparation methods. I live alone, Eric. And I'm not quite sure which is cause and which is effect. I feel like now I need to send Vermont police to right. your house to I live alone around. in a remote rural village 
I have a basement and a barn. <laughs> oh no. So. You have a deep well right. uh, that you lower buckets <laughs> into and out of. This, uh, I, don't, I don't like what I'm hearing here. It puts the notion in the basket. <laughs> um, but no, so seriously, it has added a lot of conversation. And Deontay seems to have been quite shocked and upset and offended even by the reaction to it. Uh, and there have been some folks who have said, wow, really people are upset about this. And meanwhile, Jarrell Miller got popped like for PEDs and that you can actually kill somebody from doing that. Well, yes, but people got very upset about Jarrell Miller for that very same reason. And Jarrell Miller doesn't have a license and I don't think he's gonna have a license again for a very long time for that reason. I do think it's a bit amusing for the head of an alphabet body to go, oh no, this is so terrible, when his response to Jarrell Miller doing what he was doing was saying, well, we shan't give him a license until October. <laughs> right. So, you know, I do get that there's an awful lot of hypocrisy in the response to it, but still. And, and to be clear, as opposed as I am to the words Deontay used, I don't think there should be any penalty for it. I agree. Like the, like the WBC was saying, oh, we're going to have a hearing, we're going to, uh, there might be discipline. No. I don't see any reason to discipline him for the insensitive words that he used. I just think in this sport, I mean, you know, think about the worst case scenario. If something bad happens in that ring and then you're able to rewind the tape and look back a few days and say that he was talking about uh, wanting to kill the guy, not just how awful Deontay Wilder would, of course, feel after all right. of that, but uh, boxing has enough... Uh, walls to overcome <laughs> that, that uh, in terms of the public view of it uh, when a tragedy happens you don't need to make it worse uh, of course I'm hoping that these these hypothetical and the words he said are end right. up being in no way connected but it's just one of those things you have to be cognizant of and uh, for him to use that word I, I think uh, is something he's I'd like to see this be a one and done with him going right. down that particular but, uh, road of trash talk but I think you know Deontay is uh I think what this, I, I think this highlights that I do think what you see with Yanti is what you get. He's a pretty unfiltered kind of guy, and uh, and then when something comes out, he's more likely to double down on it. Sure. And, uh, and that just is the nature of who he is. He, we talked about it last week about how he was going to approach this fight. Was he going to do it with some emotion and passion? Was he going to dial it down? Was he going to be? you know, calm in the ring, or is he just going to go out there and be full on Deontay? I think this gives us our answer. I, 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 I think he talks the way he, he, he fights, he fights the way he thinks, and I think this does give us an indication. We'll get into predictions later. Right. But partly because of the way they, you know, he fights traditionally, and also the way this has gone on, I am going to be very surprised if, um, you know, he comes out and, you know, Guillermo Rigondeaux out the joint uh, in, in the ring, or or even dials yeah. it down a little bit. I think we're going to see full-on yeah, Deontay from a very, uh, you know, early stage. And yeah, look, like I said, just, you know, I understand some of what he said about how, um, you know, we do expect people to go in and hit each other in the head and we really like it when they hurt them really, really badly and one of the people is twitching on the canvas. We love that, but we don't like it when... When they don't when recover the, properly when, from... You know, and, from and there, is, there is hypocrisy there and uh, the nature of the sport is, you know, inherently abhorrent we just don't like it verbalized and and there are good reasons for not verbalizing it so our director of podcasts uh, seth nyman was making a bit of a face at me uh when i said i'd like this to be a one and done so I, let, let's let's bring seth in here just to give his take um and i know he he has some thoughts on on sort of uh, the possible deontay heel turn here so so what were what's your feeling on all this seth and and how seriously deontay means it when he says something like that i think the fact that I think the fact that we're talking about it, yeah. mission accomplished. It's called promotion. Yes. 
you know, and it's great to controversy and, and, and saying what you know. I think we talked about Jake Lamada. You know, he, he said to Frank, uh, to Floyd Patterson. Floyd said, "Oh, we didn't really mean it. We said want to kill someone." And Jake Lamada said, "Yeah, I meant it." <laughs> right. And talking to Paulie, you know, and he'll tell you if he comes on later. Like, as a fighter, it's these guys are like it's a different mindset, and it's and you're right. It's not a literal sense, but it's kind of a killer be killed mentality in a way. You're in there. One guy's trying to take your head off. Whether he literally wants to take it off or figuratively, it doesn't matter. So, I think I think we're in a, a PC society, and I, I said PC society. <laughs> and uh, Seth was very worried about the bees popping yeah. into the microphone. And I came and, and popped them. Yeah. And I, I think that has a lot to do with it. I think yeah. that this was 15, 20 years ago, no one bat an eye. And I, I think it's good for Deontay to, to to bring attention to it. And as long as you know when the fight's said and done, they, they can be gentlemen about it. There's a lot of bad blood here, so I don't know if in this particular fight right. that'll be the case. But in the past, I think Deontay's shown a lot of um, you know humbleness toward his opponent, and sure. and I, I hope that happens here too. I hope, I hope they gain each other's respect because whether or not you think uh, this is going to be an easy fight for Wilder, Brazil comes to fight. He's got a lot of heart. You know, it's something uh, Pete said on the podcast. He goes, "I guarantee you this: Brazil's going to get knocked down, and he's going to get up." He's a tough, tough guy with a lot of heart. So I, I wouldn't write him off, and I hope they—I just hope they get uh, earn each other's respect at the end of the fight. That, that reminds me of an interesting bet that I saw. I was checking out all, all the betting options. One of the sites has plus 500, five to one odds on will both fighters be knocked down. Ooh, it's kind of interesting because you kind of figure Brazil's probably going down at some point. So it's—it's—is it's Wilder going to taste the canvas too? Five right. to one. That one—that uh, one was jumping out of me. It's possible. I, I, I just—I wonder if he's going to be overzealous. That's the thing I, I think. Like, I, I, if he stays within himself, I think he's going to do really well. But if he—if he lets all this get to his head and gets away from his game plan, he could leave himself open. Okay. All right, well, we, uh, the, the things are starting to develop here. We've got a crowd uh, starting to gather. The fighters are here getting through their necessary paperwork, and we are just a little bit out from seeing uh, the fighters get up on the stage. Uh, we will have the undercard. Uh, obviously, we've got two other televised undercard fights that we'll be talking about as well, as well as the main event. And we've got a couple of guests who we're hoping to bring to the table as well. So uh, we'll be getting on with that shortly. For now, let's take a little break. All right, we are joined now by a former middleweight contender turned real boxing renaissance man. He's a commentator, he's manager, he's a... Uh, you know, what all else he's up to? A bit of everything. A bit of everything. <laughs> we are joined by Matthew. Matthew, Matthew, thanks very much for joining us, mate. Oh, you're welcome. Good, good. good to be here. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for coming on. So you'll be calling the fight for, for Sky, is that Yeah, correct? Sky Sports, yeah. Okay, so obviously when we're talking about the heavyweight division and we're talking about the British perspective on it, you guys have a pretty good uh, heavyweight over there yourself and Anthony Joshua. What's the buzz like over there about Deontay Wilder? Is is he perceived as Joshua's equal by a lot of Brits? What's the perception over there? I mean, Andy Joshua is uh, very much, a, you know, the poster boy of UK boxing, Olympic gold medalist. Um, says all the right things, very well-spoken guy, humble guy, does a lot of charity work. Um, you know, he's a, he's a real fan's favorite. He's exciting to watch. Um, Deontay Wilder, though, carries that knockout, devastating power. I think he's the kind of love-to-hate kind of guy as well. He says some crazy things. He's pretty uh, controversial at times. Obviously, the fight with Tyson Fury was controversial. Most people in the UK, certainly. But I think even over here, too, felt that uh, Fury was unlucky not to get the win. Um, you know, it, it, but it's a great time to be a heavyweight. You know, the division is really hot again. I think certainly 
the Klitschko is as good as he was. Vladimir was so dominant, but not the most exciting style. Killed the heavyweight division a little bit, but I think when Joshua had that epic fight against him, and then Deontay kind of enhanced his reputation. Fury as well, coming back after initially being the guy to beat Vladimir Klitschko. I think that the heavyweight division has really caught fire again, and uh, like I say, it's a great, great time to be a heavyweight. We just want to make sure that right. all these super fights happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was there in Wembley, as you were when, when Anthony Joshua beat Vladimir Klitschko. It's still the single greatest fight night that I've ever experienced, I think, those 90,000 people. Um, is there a little bit of a sense of a slight disappointment that, partly because of all these political things, hasn't quite kicked on since then? You know, he hasn't quite. Anthony had the big fights after that that he would have hoped for. Yeah, I think so. I, I think what's frustrating and, and probably what she's, uh, the fans are a little, a little bit scared of, um, you know, we, they don't want this to be a Lennox Lewis really close situation where the fight gets away and then it's looked so close a couple of times and then all of a sudden, you know, Wilder, uh, sorry, Fury goes over to ESPN, right. you know, um, Joshua comes to America, but it's meant to be Miller now, it's not Miller, it's Andy Ruiz, and you're just, you're just scared that this fight, you know, goes past its sell-by date, or one of them gets beaten, and then, you know, then the super fights don't happen, so, I mean, in terms of building a fight, you know, the Gennady Golovkin-Canelo fight, down the middleweight, probably happened at the right time, even though it was probably three years after the fans wanted it to happen, but it took time to be built and to be, you know, Maximized. But I think, you know, you look at the Floyd Mayweather Manny Pacquiao fight, and that was probably four years past its sell by day, so we, we don't want that to happen. You've got three really exciting heavyweights, all with different styles, all bringing something unique to the table, um, and we want to see that happen. We want to see the fights. There could be rematches, trilogies, and, you know, Shelly Finkel yesterday said to Adam Smith at Sky Sports in an interview, you know, when. Brazil has the makings of what should be an all-action fight, probably with a knockout finish. Is that how you see it? Do you see uh, Wilder really looking to make a statement in this fight? Yeah, I do. And I also think that Dominic Brazil will look to start quick. He, he, uh, he spoke in the fight meeting earlier about, you know, in the past that he started a little bit too slow. He said that he maybe showed Anthony Joshua too much respect. Uh, but he feels that since that loss, he's made some adjustments. He's really looked at himself. He's made improvements. He sees, I, I felt that he was sourcing a lot of strength and confidence from teaming up with uh, Virgil Hunter. Virgil Hunter said that he was one of the things he really wanted to work on was to get Dominic Brazil to start quicker, let his hands go more. And uh, I, I think he's going to do that. But I also think that maybe that could be suicide because right. I think Deontay Wilder is going to meet him in the middle of the ring and it's going to be bombs away. I, I think this is going to be a real explosive fight and I think it's going to be over inside four rounds. So obviously it's not hype. These guys genuinely dislike each other. There's a lot of there's a lot of hatred. Have you ever been in a situation where you've gone into a fight where for whatever reason there's some long-standing personal animosity going in with your opponent and when you do that have you ever felt the need to try and dial it back because you need to just focus on the boxing or would you embrace it? Um, I was never really involved in any bad blood, no real grudge match, but I had, there was a couple of good rivalries, um, kind of local, domestic, you know, there a lot of a lot of people knew each other on a personal right. level from both sets of teams. Uh, one was when I fought Jamie Moore, uh, 
you know, it was kickoff fight of the year, probably, probably domestic fight of the decade, I think certainly in that fight, looking back, I was far too fired up. Um, definitely went out too quick and, and, and then just had to kind of keep it going. But uh, that, I think that gave me the experience for when the, the second time it came around, I fought a guy called Wayne Alcott for the British middleweight title. I was a lot more, um, I was I was fired up, but I, I harnessed it, you know, I channeled it in the in the right way. I, I stayed relaxed, I stayed focused. I didn't let my emotions overall. And uh, I think it's very important, it's crucial when you're in the big fight, that you can stay calm in the madness. When you start off something like, like the bell rings and you're fired up, is it ever possible to dial it down? Or like once you go in and you're really fired up, is that it? You're kind of committed to that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, certainly in that part, I came out and set a hot pace, and then it was like, right, I've got to keep this up now because anytime I tried to step off the pace, he, he put it on me because he knew this is a hellacious pace. You've set it, and now I'm going to keep it going, you know? So we. Um, it, I mean, it's like dicta it's, it's dictating the terms and they're controlling things, but you know, it's very hard. Once you put your foot on the gas, once you put it into fifth gear, it's very difficult to pull that back. That's why, you know, I'd always generally recommend, you know, take your time, faint, see what's there, take what he gives you. You can always, it's easier to kind of go up the gears. Right. It's very difficult to slow down once you've gone up to that fifth gear. Right. Talking about that same subject, but in, in the larger picture, just in terms of a boxing career, uh, your last fight was 2016. Once you've stepped away from the ring, are you feeling a, a lot of pull to want to get back in? Is it once you've taken your foot off the gas, you're on to the next phase of your life? What what goes on in your mind? I think for me, I probably, I, looking back, I, rec I think I was probably done after the Martinez fight. I think the passion oh. and the love and the real desire was, but I still had some good wins. And I've now seen out and around, obviously, Fuka Lovkin. After that, I had another fight in HBO, being on defeat fight. But I think the the, the, the burning desire, the, the real passion, the drive had gone. And um, yeah, I mean, so when I retired, I, I was I was ready. You know what I mean? There's no. Um, I, I, I miss it sometimes. You know, when you're in a big fights and that. I mean, I'd love to go back and do it all again, knowing. Now, what, you know, we're knowing they want to know now. But, Unfortunately, your body but, isn't right. uh, 22 years old anymore. So. But, but, but as they say, youth is wasted on the young. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. But, but you know, you can't put an old head on young shoulders. So, right. and we can talk cliches all day long. But it's, uh, I had my time. I'm grateful for the time I had, and I'm still grateful to be, you know, very still involved in the sport in a different capacity. Uh, sitting across from you, it's quite clear you've let yourself go. You look terribly out of shape. <laughs> Yeah, uh, do you know what? I'm probably in better shape now than I ever was in between fights when I was fighting. That's, that's that youth being wasted on the young situation we're talking about. Is it easier, in fact, the fact that, I mean, you slid straight into management, really, didn't you? And, and um, is it easier the fact you've got all that still around you than maybe if you'd stepped away from it completely and not had it in your life at all? Uh, and, and you've got the Sky gig as well, of course. The fact that it's still a part of you, does that make it easier? Yeah, I think so. I'm still very much involved in the sport. I'm still immersed in boxing. I'm still weekly, you know, I, have, I stay current with it. You know, you're, you're talking on Sky and you're, you're managing fighters. You, you, you have to be on the ball. You have to know what's happening. Right. I mean, it, it changes, I won't even say daily, hourly. So you have to kind of keep your, you know, stay up to speed with everything. So, yeah, I, I don't... I don't miss it in that sense because I'm still very much involved. I'd imagine some people, some fighters that retire and kind of move away altogether. It, it must be difficult, I would imagine, because it's such a huge part of your life. But then, to not have it in your life, it, it, I would imagine that that would be very difficult. 
So I have one last question for you. Getting back to, to these heavyweights, obviously we have our, our three-headed monster atop the division. Of those three guys, Fury is clearly not the puncher. The puncher is either Wilder or Joshua. As an ex-fighter, which one strikes you as the actual heaviest puncher in the heavyweight division right now, Deontay Wilder or Anthony Joshua? No, I think, I think Deontay Wilder is definitely the hardest one-punch concussive hitter. He's like a freaky power. Um, and it's amazing, really, because he's got like legs like Tommy Hearns, but he's got the, but Tommy Hearns was a serious puncher, you know what I mean? So it's uh, he's similar in that sense. But uh, I think Joshua still hits really hard. I think he's physically definitely the more, the more the stronger, he's the bigger guy. I think he's probably you know got more to his game than Wilder. Maybe a little bit static of a body movement. That'd be maybe a criticism that you could put his way. I think in terms of the best natural boxer, the most naturally talented, and probably the best boxing IQ. I think that's Tyson Fury. So you got three very different fighters there, which so you know, we want we want to see the matchups and see what way they play out. Yeah. So finally, um, you said you thought Saturday night might be gone and done inside four rounds. Do you have a prediction? Yeah, I think I think that uh, it's difficult for me to see past the Wilder win. Um, I think Brazil will have his moments. I think he he will step up to the plate. I think he'll start quick. I think he'll really put it on Wilder. But I just think that Wilder carries that concussive one-punch power. And, you know, Brazil's been down before. Uh, I, I can't really see past a Wilder win. All right, terrific. Hey, look, Matthew Macklin, thanks very much indeed for joining us on the Showtime Boxing Club. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, and making an early play to be the most popular guest on the Showtime Boxing Podcast, two-time, two-time Showtime Boxing guest, <laughs> Steve Farhart. Hey, Steve, how you doing? I'm doing great, Kieran and Eric. How are you? We're good. We're good. He's, he's saying the two-time, and I'm just thinking, down goes Farhart. <laughs> down goes Farhart. <laughs> Don't say that now, because, you know, with Deontay... <laughs> Down goes farther than out goes farther. <laughs> Hopefully not. But yeah, we were just talking before we started recording that you'll be uh, up on that stage trying to interview the fighters at the way in and uh, trying being an operative word here. Well, the biggest problem, anytime they have a little tete before the uh, interview, I usually try to stick the mic in there to catch capture whatever audio is. I don't know that I can reach high enough. <laughs> right. Six right. seven and six seven basically. So right. I'm only five ten. When you have a situation, I mean, you know, we. Both done that kind of interviewing people on stage thing, and you don't know how it goes. It's out of way in. Fighters are fired up at the best of times. These guys are coming into this dial up to 11 even before they see each other on stage. You go in this with any plans like, I'm gonna try to do A, or I'm trying to do B, or are you just gonna see what the hell happens and what you can get away with? Well, I wanna get on Deontay's good side, right. so I think I'm gonna start by saying, Deontay, we knew you lost to Tyson Fury. <laughs> <laughs> Loosen them up. Sure. And yeah, go from there. Right, right. <laughs> he just walked by, by the way. Yeah, I, I don't know what the right approach is, but I definitely know what the wrong yeah, approach is. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. So, um, so the, the general expectation going into this fight is that we're going to see action, that we're not going to see guys taking a backward step, tight and trying to dance around each other. Do you think this is one that's going to heat up from the opening bell, that they're going to go right at it? You know, you can only go by the history of the fighters, and yes, that's the case. Dominic Brazil may not be the smoothest guy in the world. He's, he's lost a lot of rounds in fights, but he's been in exciting fights. And Deontay always has that one-punch power. Why do we watch heavyweight? Lord knows I'm not a fan of the heavyweight division, but when you get guys like Joshua and and, uh, and Wilder who can take you out with one punch, I sort of reconsider right. in, in their cases. Right. 
neither guys are really the most technically adept heavyweights or boxers we've ever seen. But like you said, there's just something about the leverage that Deontay gets, the power with close punches land. Um, I, I, I kind of go into this and I wonder, exciting as it might be, it feels as if this might be a case of levels here a little bit. Uh, I wonder if you have that same kind of thing, that, that because of that extra factor that Deontay has, this could conceivably even be a blowout. I think it could be a blowout for a number of reasons. One is Brazil is a slow starter, we know that. Two, his one weakness has been right hands. Yeah. And what does Deontay do better than right hands, especially off the jab? Um, we didn't see Deontay jab with much success against Fury. And I remember going into that fight thinking, Fury is going to turn southpaw to take away Wilder's jab. He didn't. He fought right-handed the whole fight to take away the right hand, which he did very well until the last couple of rounds. So Brazil has to start faster. Can you get that into a fighter who doesn't start fast naturally? That's part of uh, Virgil Hunter's job. And uh, I don't know how you do that. It's, it's more mental, I think, than physical. With Anthony Joshua having stopped Brazil in seventh round in seven rounds, do you see that as a big motivating factor for Wilder that his goal is six rounds or, or, or fewer that he's got to top what Joshua did? You know the stakes are so high at this point that get the win. Don't worry about how you get the win. If you stop him before seven, use that as a as a bragging point. Yes, fine. But it's get the win because the stakes are just so high. What a loss would do to Deontay Wilder at this point before he gets the Holy Grail, which is a Joshua fight. We can only imagine. And that's particularly, I think, because of the very public negotiation and him turning down some big money. I shouldn't say big money, gigantic money. Uh, that's There's extra pressure in a sense that if he were to lose, he goes down with the Tommy Morrison against Michael Ben. Uh, with, with that sort of crowd, they, they, they were right there. They walked away from Hasim Rahman would be another example. Um, didn't, didn't maximize winnings. This would be a loss that's devastating to his image and his bank account in addition to his record. Well, you know, fighters talk a lot about legacies. To me, they don't have a right to determine their legacy. That's more the media's job and the fans' job. And all I know is that when you talk about great heavyweights, if Joshua and Wilder don't fight each other, I don't care if they go 70 and 0, if they don't fight each other, they're going to be remembered a certain way. And ultimately, it's up to them to make the fight. Whatever that means, does that mean holding a gun to your promoter's head and saying, I want this fight and nothing else? Whatever it takes, I bl especially at this point, I blame them. Not the promoters, not the zone, not Showtime, not pay-per-view, nothing like that. It has to be up to them to make the fight. And usually, boxing history will tell you that usually if the money is big enough, these fights do get made. There aren't many exceptions. Even Manny Pacquiao Mayweather, granted five years too late, got made. Joining us with Mr. Powerhead is yet another two-time guest of the Showtime Boxing Podcast, Mr. Gary Russell. How are you, champ? I'm great, great. I'm wonderful. I'm ready to make this thing happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's always interesting when a fighter comes and talks to us on the weigh-in day, just before the weigh-in. Sometimes you see a guy really on edge, really, really pissed <laughs> at the world. Uh, you look pretty relaxed. How are you feeling going into this weigh-in? Oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm in my element. I'm, not, I'm, I'm a fish in water right now. Okay. I'm completely in my element. I'm no more comfortable than I am today. Um, like you said, a lot of these guys be on edge. I wake up in the morning. And this is what it is. I mean, 
And it's also got to be because you know, we talked about this when you joined us on the phone, like frustrating because it's been almost exactly a year now. You've got to be just so primed and ready to get on with this. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely primed and ready to get on with it. But at the end of the day, it's full progression by any means necessary. Um, I would love to get a unification bout with any of the other world champions. I've been calling for all these world champions ever since I had the world title. And as of now, I'm the longest reigning WBC champion up to date, period, hands down. We haven't got a unification yet, but I've been defending my championship successfully every time I step in the ring. Importantly, Steve Farhood, who's with us, just has to leave now to go and do the interviews for the weigh-in. You promised him some nice quotes there up on the stage. You're gonna be. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I could always depend on Gary. Just before I leave, I want to make a quick point about Gary. Nobody ever questions your motivation or your dedication. But you turned pro, first fighter ever to turn pro on Showbox. How many years ago? 2009. 2009. So that's right. 10 years ago. He weighed 127 pounds. <laughs> Where's he gonna weigh today? 126 pounds. You've never varied by more than a pound or two. That's right. That's, and and he, you're not old, but you're, right. all, you're 10 years older than you are when you turn pro. That's pretty right. amazing. Dedication. Yeah, but it, it speaks on your level of professionalism when you're in the sport of boxing, you know. So I feel as though every fighter that participate in the sport should take their craft seriously. You know, and, my, and the way I live my life shows people that you take your craft seriously. So what do you walk around at? Uh, no more than maybe 132, maybe Oh, wow, really? Something like that. Oh, okay. I'm always in the gym. I'm never really out of the gym. Okay. After my fight, God willing, no injuries occur and something like that. I'll still be right back in the gym. Come Monday with my wife and my children. My wife trains with me. Uh, I just had a, a recent set of twins. They're six months wow. old now. Wow. And, Congratulations. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. That will use up all the energy oh, yeah. keep the weight off. A boy, <laughs> a boy and a girl, and it's funny, I named them Layla and Ali. Oh, oh no yeah. kidding. Oh, yeah. That's oh, yeah. pretty good. Named them Layla and Ali. It was actually my wife's idea, you know, to name them Layla and Ali. My wife works out with me, my children are in the gym. Now that we're comfortable enough to bring them out, we let them get a little older before we want to bring them out to the society. Right. But now we're comfortable, they're in the gym, car seats and all. You know, so it, it's a family affair. Nice. I'm, I'm glad you didn't name them Jermel and Jamal because oh I, I'll, I'll never stop being confused <laughs> between those two. Layla and Ali, you know, it's right. easy to keep track of which one. Right. Are, are they sleeping through the night? They're sleeping completely through the night. It's funny that my, my wife, when I met her, she was a teacher. She was a teacher when I met her, so it was a it was a big help on my behalf. You know, we had children and stuff like that, and she was very nurturing. She, she, she knows exactly what to do with the children, and she teaches me along the way. You know, so it's cool. We act, my wife is actually the only child, you know, and I come from a big family. I'm the oldest of six boys. I never really wanted a big family. My wife wanted four. And she, even her cousins, her cousins was much younger than her. So we have a six-year-old daughter, a five-year-old daughter, a one-year-old son, and my wife says, Oh my God, baby, we're so close. All we need is another little boy, and we'll be complete. Twins. You overshot. <laughs> Twins. You know, so it was it's definitely blessings all the way around the board. And I, and I compete with my younger brothers. My father's my coach. I pull my energy from my family, you know, so it's amazing. It's definitely a family affair. And does that help? Because, I mean, you've talked about this before, about how important your family is to you. Does that help you? Regardless of what your profession is, I feel as though as a man, it's my job to provide a level of, of protection, stability, and foundation for your family, your friends, and your loved ones. 
You know, um, that's where I pull my energy from. A lot of these guys, when they go to training camp, they have to get away. They get away just to separate themselves from everything. I don't have to. I'm doing it for my family. That's what I do it for. I do it for my family, my friends, and my loved ones. So the closer they are with me or to me, the more I can push even further. You know, it's funny. You know, my when in my gym, I have my own private gym. It's not open to the public. And um, if you come in my gym, you'll probably think it's a daycare center. <laughs> you'll probably think it's a daycare center because this is my dad, who's my coach. You know, uh, my brother. He'll have his children there. They're in the gym hitting the bags, etc. I'll have my children there. My wife, she's in the gym training just to stay in shape. I feel as though that just working out in general is something that's so intimate that people don't take the time out to put into themselves. No one else benefit from it but yourself, you know. So that's one of the big things. Even when I'm done with the sport of boxing, I'll still be in the gym training and working out. But that's also, I mean, you've talked very, you know, Clearly that you don't want to be around for too much longer if you more right. And it's a lot of that because you've got the family and there's only you only get one shot to really enjoy your family and spend your That's time right. with that an important consideration. That's definitely an important consideration into everything. Uh, I have a beautiful wife. I have five beautiful children. And I've been competing. I'm 30 years old. I'll be 31 in June. I've been competing in boxing ever since I was seven years old. I had my first boxing match at seven. It was funny because I was in the gym and working out. A lot of these guys from my area, Sean Bay Mitchell, Keith right. Holmes, wow. William Joppy, Mark Tushop Johnson, all of these guys, when they were actually amateur, I was a little pup at the wow. time. I was really teeny, maybe three years old, and I was the one that was out there throwing punches in the crowd. And I remember these guys paying me money to get in the ring and shadow box yeah. and do like an exhibition before the show started. You know, um, and it just goes to show you how far we've come and how long I've been competing in the sport of boxing. I'm, a, I'm an Olympian. I have another younger brother that follows and shows that the pedigree is definitely genetic. Uh, he's a 2016 Olympian who's been competing on his card as well. You know, and I want to be able to spend time with my family. I want, I want to be able to reap the benefits of all the hard work and effort and the sacrificing that I've done and put it all into my family once I'm, once I'm done with the sport of boxing. That's a, a great legacy of recent D.C. area fighters yeah. that you were mentioning there. And uh, Mark Tushar Johnson really jumps out at me because I would say you have the fastest hands in the, among little guys that I've seen maybe since Mark Tushar Johnson. Oh, wow. I, that, <laughs> I mean, he has some fast hands, too. Hey, you want to know something funny? When Mark Tushar Johnson lost, he fought a young up-and-coming guy. And I think the guy was maybe 17 or 18 years old at the time. And he lost to this guy. His name was Johnny Gonzalez. All right. That's who I took the title from. The WBC oh, title man. that I have now is from the guy that beat Mark Tushop Johnson. Wow. You know, um, so, I mean, it goes to show you the legacy. You know, we use a lot of these guys as examples, you know, for what to do and what not to do. You know, and we're full progression by any means necessary. Your brothers, uh, Antoine and Antonio, on this card, what can we expect from that? Oh, explosiveness. Antonio, well, Gary Antonio, he's the young, he's the smallest of the bunch. He's 118. He's deceptionally strong for his weight division. He has the punching ability to create these explosive one-shot knockouts at any given time of the fight. He still has the ring generalship, you know, we still have the same pedigree, a similar style, but they have their own little twist on it. You know, Gary Antoine Russell, who's a 2016 Olympian, he's a 
little closer to Mr. Gary Russell Jr. He's a little closer to myself. He has the hand speed. He's a little slick. He's kind of crafty. But he brings his own twist to it as well. Um, I think they're both going to be a force to be reckoned with. As of now, what I expect for them, my father always told me, if you're better, be better. Never fight down to your competition. As of now, and I expect the guys that they get in the ring with, I expect them to be heads and shoulders better than these guys. I don't want to see them showboating. I don't want to see none of that stuff. I want to see a level of defensive discipline, regardless of what goes on in the ring. If you have the measure of your man, get him up out of there. You know, those are the things we look for. I'm looking for maturity in those guys. So it sounds like the weigh-in is getting close to starting. One last thing I want to ask you about. I'm sitting across from you here looking at this nice, big, thick beard that you've got. And I'm wondering, is there any concern that your opponent's camp might say, Gary needs to trim that beard? It's completely against my religion. I don't care what they have to say. Huh? If, you heard, if you know what Sikhism is, it's a, it's, okay. it's a religious belief you know, that to allow your hair and stuff to grow naturally the way that God intended to be. You know, it goes completely against my religion. I was planning, I mean, I, I trim it myself, uh -huh. you know, but I, I, I don't I don't like it to get too long anyway myself, just for the record. Okay. You know, so I definitely keep it trimmed, but I refuse for anyone to demand me to do anything. All right. I won't give no. them any ideas. We don't want to start a controversy. But uh, Oh, yeah, okay. we'll definitely be a controversy. <laughs> We're not going to go against what I believe in. Okay. Well, boxing, just... boxing is what I do. It's not who I am. Right. Let's get that clear. Well right. said. Well, and then I just want to echo Eric's point from the beginning. Wayne is starting here. I have never seen a guy, just before he gets up on the scales, be quite so chill and pretty high. You'd be That's here right. until like two minutes before you had to get up on the scales. Oh, yeah, fine. definitely. You know, I do it in my sleep. I've been doing it since I was seven years old. It's something that comes so natural to me. A lot of these guys have to mentally psych themselves up to get ready and stuff like that. This is what I am. This is what I do. I do what I love. I love it. I love my sport. You know, um, I was a naturally aggressive child anyway. You know, my even my younger brother, this sport was perfect for me. It was perfect for me, you know, to target it and channel all of this extra energy that I had and put it into something that could be constructive. I think it was great. You know, it was a perfect outlet for me and my younger brothers, and I'm grateful that my father was astute enough to be able to push that on us. Well, look, thanks very much for joining us again, and all the best on Saturday against Kiko Martinez, Mr. Gary Russell Jr. Lee. Right, fireworks. All right, it's a real pleasure to uh, bring to the Showtime Boxing uh, podcast right now, I think for the first time, the one and only Mr. Yes, Al Bernstein. So. How's that possible? I don't know. Well, <laughs> this, this is the start of many. How are you, It's good to have you. It's and first of all, it's great. I know you don't want to make a good fuss about it, but it's great to see you and great to know that you're in good health. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, and, um, you know, it was. I've had so many uh, nice well wishes from everybody, including you guys. You did a very nice thing talking about it, and I really, really appreciate it. And uh, you know, I, I was loath to even discuss it, but then once everything was okay, I thought, you know, it's good to talk about it because it reminds me. Uh, that when they, they can get prostate cancer and, and it's great to do all your um, PSAs beforehand and stay on top of it so that you don't get it. Well, we're, we're, we're thrilled that you're, that you're uh, in good health yeah. and here in Brooklyn to call the fights tomorrow night. Um, are you anticipating when Deontay Wilder and Dominic Brazil get in the ring that we're going to have the kind of fight where there's no feeling out, where these guys are just going to tear into each other? Well, you know, the reason that's really possible is because Deontay Wilder's camp know that uh, Brazil is a slow starter. 
Brazil talked at the fighter meetings at length with Virgil Hunter, uh, with us, uh, about how it's important for him to get off uh, quickly in this fight. So kind of a, a, a merging of those two things may create, uh, you know, fireworks early in the match. It's interesting. One of the things that both fighters have been talking about, almost going back to square one a little bit, you know, I mean, I get the Brazil, you know, said that he looked a lot of what happened against Anthony Joshua, and he, he, he's trying to sort of correct for that and, and improve. But for me, what was interesting was Deontay, who's had such great success, saying himself, yeah, like I'm breaking everything down and starting over again, you know, I'm building my own gym in my, in my own house, and, and sort of trying to dial it back, be more of a boxer a little bit. What do you make of any of that? I understand Brazil um, kind of trying to, to structure a game plan that can beat the elite heavyweights. You know, his mission is to, how can I beat these big power-punching heavyweights that are uh, my size, you know, and that have maybe more, more power than me, uh, and, and what can I do? And I think for this fight, I believe that the game plan they've devised is one where he uses his jab to get inside, and then he's gonna try and smother uh, Wilder. Um, Body him, he'll he'll have he'll outweigh Wilder by for sure 20 or 25 pounds. Now Wilder claims that at this weight he's gonna come in at 224 or something like that, which he was at 212 for the last fight. Right. But even so he would uh, be outweighed by Brazil. I think Brazil wants to muscle him, get through these rounds, not get hit with something big, not be in the end of punches, and make Deontay Wilder work for this and hope that while he's on the inside, he does have some power in his right hand. Brazil can land something big that will change the fight. What, what kind of difference do you expect Virgil Hunter to, to make in, in his corner, to bring in a strategist who's taken guys to the top of the mountain? You know, Deontay Wilder has been pretty consistent with, with his team, uh, but Brazil, you know, yeah. bringing in a, a new guy here in, in Hunter, do you see it making a significant well, difference? Uh, Virgil Hunter made the good point, because we talked to him about that at the meeting, that when you only have one training camp, it's limited to what you can do. And his theory is, and he's been in this situation a number of times, Virgil Hunter, you take one strength and you work on it, you take one weakness and you work on it. And if you can if you can make those better, he says you can make your fighter a 40 or 50 percent better fighter. He, and if you pick the right one, right, right you know, little roulette wheel and you go, you know, put a pin in there and say, oh, well, that one's the one. But uh, so uh, I think that's a really sensible approach. And I think for Brazil, Part of what they worked on was improving his jab so that he could walk in behind it because he has a good jab, it just isn't used enough. And uh, I think they're trying to shore up some, uh, and conditioning. Conditioning was vital because he said you can't do this kind of stuff. And, and, and Brazil has had spotty conditioning in the past, but he looks good for this fight. Yeah. Is this one of those fights where both guys can go in with all the plans in the world? Yeah. And it's just all going to go to hell. It could be. It's very, it's very possible because, um, you know, it's a heavyweight division where people go down. And the thing about Brazil is he's very tough. You know, he's got Wilder hurts you with those big power punches. That's for sure. Uh, but, you know, he gets up uh, from being knocked down. He's been knocked down, I think, five times. And um, it is very possible because we talked about the potential of one guy starting trying to start fast and the other guy trying to start faster than he has, well, that could create a, a wild collision and that may set the tone for the fight. And then it's all just, 
you know, Deontay Wilder is certainly not a ring technician. Right. Uh, Brazil has had his moments of wildness, so we might just end up with a brawl, <laughs> which would not be the worst thing for boxing fans, <laughs> would it? Not at all. <laughs> might, maybe not good for one or two of the fighters. But... So, one thing that stands out about Wilder, in addition to his phenomenal natural power, outside the ring, he's one of the more charismatic, colorful characters in the game. You've been following the sport for a long time. I won't say exactly how long. Don't want to date you, but you've been doing it for a while. A while. <laughs> where, where does he stand, like, in, in the pantheon of just guys with a natural charisma? Is he near the top of that? Well, he's, yeah, he's very talkative, and, of course, he's taken it to another level before this fight, uh, which he's kind of almost made a conscious decision to play the heel uh, a little bit, you know, with the talk of murder and all the rest of it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where that takes him. Uh, you know, he's, I think Deontay Wilder probably feels like he hasn't quite gotten the attention in America that he would have wanted to get. And, you know, maybe he thinks he needs to adjust his course in terms of his public persona. So, so what, what's your stance on, on what he said? Because we were having a little debate earlier about whether it's harmless promotion or is it going over the line? How do you feel about him? Well, he was given a chance to walk it back a little bit, and he didn't take that chance. So um, it's it, it's troubling to me. You know, I don't I don't like hearing that. I don't think anybody wants to. But we live in an age where you can say almost anything now in public. I don't want get too far into the weeds on that, I'll right. just leave it out there, but right. you can say almost, almost anyone in, in this country can say almost anything they want and get away with it. And, I, I think I'm picking up the vibe that you're dropping, yeah. And, and it's true, especially, and it's true in sports, for sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's that's where we're headed, so you can go beyond the pale, maybe, and we'll see how it plays. Right. Of the... The, the big story, obviously, the ongoing story for the heavyweight division is we've got these three guys at the yeah. top. No disrespect to Dominic Brazil right. or to or Andy Ruiz or, Jesus, or, or yeah. you know, any of these guys. Where do you sort of see the three of them in relation to each other? And what's your, as someone who's been used to boxing disappointments, what's your sense of optimism or otherwise on whether we're going to see these guys together again? I'm not wildly optimistic that they're all going to have Ron Robbins, you know. I'm not wildly optimistic about that. I think it's inevitable that one of the, somehow, some permutation of those three ends up in the ring at some point in the next 18 months. Okay. Uh, whether it's Wilder, Fury, uh, or whether it's, you know, Wilder, Joshua, or Fury, Joshua, or whatever. I think we're going to see one of those fights in the next 18 months, but I don't hold out, and I, I maybe, but I don't hold out huge hope for it. Oh, the boxing landscape, as you guys know, is very complicated now. Uh, more so, and I'm not even going to say, and I've been through a lot of iterations of this over 37 years, and just speaking to that, I started when I was 10 years old. So <laughs> exactly. exactly. Established the math adds up. Yep. Yeah, that's uh -huh. a, my nose is growing right now. Right. I think yeah. 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 So, but, you know, I've seen a lot of these, these the, the landscape change. I don't think it's ever been this divided. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't remember a time when it's been more, because you have a lot involved. You have promoters, you have networks, you have a whole bunch of things, organizations. It's a very tricky deal. And, um, and so I, I wish I was more optimistic that they were all going to fight because that would exponentially help the sport. Yeah. You know, that would be huge for the sport. Yeah. It's this weird situation, isn't it, that we've certainly talked about before, that 
you know, certainly in the US, you have more boxing available to you to watch than at any time. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the boxing that you want to watch yeah. because it's so silent. That's the problem, yeah. And there are intra many great intramural fights, I'll put it, in all the groups that are making fights. Some of them are terrific. Jacobson, Golovkin, or I mean, then um, uh, Canelo, and then we could see Canelo and Golovkin, and you can go over on the ESPN fights and find great fights you can make and on Showtime everywhere. But the problem is, it's still people still want to see those other fights, the ones that are you know are not within the boundaries of uh, intramural. <laughs> We've got fighters uh, stepping right. on, this, on the scale here, uh, but you gave us something to, to look for when uh, when Wilder comes out. 224 yeah. is the possible the, number yeah, to look for. Yeah, he's saying in the 220, so we'll see if that's true. Awesome. All right, guys, good to be Thanks so much, Al. All right, you're not joining us on the other side of the weigh-in. Uh, all our uh, uh, televised fighters have weighed in. In the main event, we were talking to Al Bernstein, who said that he thought that Deontay Wilder would come in at 224. He missed it by miles. Deontay, 223 and a quarter to talk to us about that and many other things. Deontay Wilder's chief trainer, JD's. Jay, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Jay. And actually, before we talk about uh, Deontay, I'll just go completely off topic and say that uh, you're, I used to be an editor at The Ring magazine, so your brother Tommy used to write for me. So uh, completely off topic. How's Tommy doing? Oh, he's, do he's doing great. He's at the uh, Nashville paper and uh, the Tennessean, and he really likes Nashville, and he's still at it after all these years. <laughs> so there is actually a real journalistic future for X-Ring writers after all. <laughs> it's not over yet. I, I suppose so. We can all aspire. Yes. <laughs> back, back in the day, I used to help him with a lot of the, uh, the articles um, because I had the videotape collection. We had maybe four or 5,000 fights on VHS, the old VHS things. And so we could, we could look up anything he was writing about. Uh, I would look up and feed him the information, and we would have the video to back it up. It was, he took it quite seriously. Yeah, no, and he was good. He was one of our favorite writers. Um, so, so Kieran mentioned the, the weight, two, 223 and a quarter. Throughout camp, was that always the intention that we're trying to bulk up? That's what we're aiming for? Well, it wasn't so much that that was part of the uh, game plan, but, but it was definitely part of the game plan for Deontay to take nutrition uh, seriously in terms of making it as big a part of his training as uh, coming to the gym. Because with Deontay, he's a, such a, he burns calories so fast. And let's face it, we're in a metal gym in Alabama, so you know it's right. hot. <laughs> Even the walls of the gym on the inside are black. So everything's attracting heat and burning heat and Deontay's just pouring sweat. So he's got to remember to eat. In this camp, he really did that. So it wasn't an issue of like this guy uh, is going to come in at like 250. He's going to try and muscle us around. Let's let's have that extra strength to be able to do that. But the weight is just a, a secondary factor of all the training that you're doing. Right. Just just him him really taking it seriously and saying I've got to slow down. I've got to make sure that I eat. I can't go a whole day and then at 11 p.m. say Wow, I forgot to eat. It's not a problem I've ever had. But with Deontay, <laughs> you know, he's so you know he's busy guy and he's he's so active. And, you know, he's just as likely to get home at 7 p.m. and say, let's go shoot some basketball, or, you know, as he is to, to sit down and eat. So this time he really slowed down and took care of that. And so, you know, if you think about it, he weighed 212 for Fury, 209 the day of the fight, which is the very next day. Wow. And then probably, if I had to guess, by the time he knocked Fury down in the 12th round, 205, 206. Right. So you're essentially talking about a cruiserweight almost 
uh, knocking Tyson Fury down with those shots, it's really a testament to his power. Right. So, so could you tell a difference in the gym with that with that extra weight on him? Is there more energy and holding the pads? Does it feel any different? Well, it, 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 as much as it always hurts when you hold the pads, <laughs> I tell people this is this is really a, a rough thing to, to think about if you've got bad ankles. But if you if you can think about going up for a rebound in basketball and you come down on someone's foot and you and you sprain your ankle. That's kind of what it feels like every time he lands a punch on the mitts. It's like a sprained ankle, a sprained ankle, a sprained ankle. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's bad, right? But now with the added weight, I think more he's just more fluid. He's more hydrated. His energy level was better. His um, uh, speed has improved. Uh, it's actually, you know, some people think you get smaller, you get faster. But actually, uh, it, 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 he, he's, he's fully hydrated. So everything's working. Everything, you know, everything's uh, happening the right way. Okay, I'm talking to Al about this earlier, sort of going with this, he's talked quite a bit about how in, in his telling, it's almost like you guys broke everything down, was the phrase that he used, and sort of built it back up again, and you know, you're talking about him paying more attention to his nutrition, he's been talking a lot about building that own his own gym and his house, and all this kind of stuff, and I'm curious, was this like a light bulb moment kind of thing, or is this just a natural progression as you as you move on, you're like, well, let's make some changes here, this is what we've learned, that, that kind that's of exact, thing. That's exactly what I think, I don't think it was that you know, the Fury thing happened and he said, oh, I've got to change everything. Because if that had been the case, you know, you would have changed all the trainers and the location of the camp and everything. That wasn't the case at all. I think it was just, he said, hey, it's time to get back to the basics. You know, he's such a freakishly good athlete and he hits so hard, he can get away with a lot of things. But getting away with it is is not a great plan. You know, it's kind of what you do when you don't have a plan, right? But he, he really wanted to get back to the basics and um, and hone in on some technical things. And as for a coach, that's boy, that's something right. you've been wanting to hear all along because uh, you know I, I can't dispute it when he would tell me, you know, uh, they they can't hit me even if I do this, you know. But now he really he really zoned in on the on the on the real things. To, to what extent? Watching him fight Fury, to what extent in the corner are you sitting there disappointed or, or frustrated or, or surprised at all by some of the struggles that he was having finding Tyson Fury in that fight? Well, we knew Fury was quite the Rubik's Cube. You know, he's, he's just a difficult guy. And he may give you a look in round one you don't see again until round eight. It's just a, a, a very difficult guy. And Deontay was just anxious. And finally, when if you watch the ninth round, when he kind of slows down just a little bit, and kind of lets the fight come to him, takes a little step back, lands the right hand, down goes Fury. So biomechanically, Deontay was figuring Fury out because you got to consider in 12 rounds, Deontay knocked him down in the ninth and the 12th. So the last four rounds of the fight, Deontay had two knockdowns, which to me says he, he, he was figuring out all that. And, and that's, you know, that's why um, um, he came on so strong at the end. You, know, you mentioned about him being anxious in there. I, I get the impression with Deontay that, you know, he's the kind of guy like, what you see is what you get. And he seems like he can be a very emotional kind of guy and that sometimes he will just take that into the ring. Like, And this is a question that's really been hovering over this fight in particular, of course. Um, do you try to rein him in a little bit if you get a sense that he's kind of champing at the bit he's kind of he's a little emotional but do you is it a case of like letting Deontay be Deontay because that's yeah. what works for him you got to let him be himself you know and he knows what he has to do and he knows the temperament that he needs to come in at I tell him I say look for fight week and I've seen great camps be ruined by bad fight weeks I've seen it the thing about it is you want to be a firecracker with a long wig you know, and you want that wick to, 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 to be lit on Monday, but you don't want the explosion to happen until Saturday. 
you don't want a short wick and a Monday or Tuesday explosion, then you go to the fight and you're a little bit overcooked. So we, we right now we're in a great position, and I think I think that, that that we're getting close to that explosion, but we're not we're not overcooked. We're we're good. I've got to run to the uh, the rules meeting. They're calling me over there. So, <laughs> I suppose uh, that takes precedence. You know, I always over wondered. Us. I always wondered about rules meeting. I'm like, I don't think they have those in the NFL. Like, fellas, the field is 100 <laughs> yards long. We're going to be using an oblong leather object, right. but only in boxing, right? Yeah. right? Only in boxing. Well, the Patriots are like, we have an issue with how. <laughs> <laughs> good, good to see you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much. Good luck Thank you. Great to great to put a face with a name because I remember you for all those years. Yeah, Tommy always kept the checks. That was the thing I always noticed. I'd help him out with the articles. I never got a pin. Never got a cut. Well, never got a you're cut. getting your revenge now. <laughs> Thank you guys. Thanks a lot. All right, many thanks indeed to JDs for being the final guest on this special weigh-in edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. All right, as I mentioned, we are now on the other side of the weigh-in. We have the weights. Mr. Raskin to my right has them down. Uh, let's. Uh, you said that just like the way you say Mr. Gary Russell Jr. It just feels like you can, you know, it's just, you know. A little lilt in your man. voice as you say it. I that's like right. It. That's right. Mr. Um, Eric Raskin. Yeah, so we'll we'll combine both uh, discussing the weights and how everyone looked on the scales uh, with making our official fight week predictions. And uh, I believe uh, I come into uh, our competition up still five points, 40 to 35 going into these, and it's going to be on me to make the first pick, which will be for the Juan Geraldez Argenis Mendez fight, both just over the 140-pound limit, which a uh, non-title fight, so that was fine. Uh, Araldez 140 and a quarter, Mendez 140 and three quarters. Both looked in, in perfectly fine shape to me. Um, this is definitely the fight on the card that I have had the hardest time picking a winner in. Um, kind of been going back and forth a little bit over sort of the, the youth and energy of Araldez or the, the veteran savvy of Mendez. I think it's going to be... Um, I don't want to say an ugly style matchup because I don't quite think that, but I think there will be awkward moments in the way that these styles mesh, and I think it's going to be a real close fight, um, and I think it's going to go the distance. I'm going to take Araldez majority decision. What do you say, Karen? Interesting. I think it is the most non-exciting fight on the cards. That's a way to put say it that it. way. Right. Um, <laughs> We're so careful. I, I don't want to call it ugly, Karen. It is what it is. It's, it's two guys who are going to do their very best, and so one hates to be like completely dismissed. This fight's going to suck. Right. Uh, it's going to be a technical fight. It's going to be back and forth. It's two guys. Uh, it's going to be a lot of uh, uh, probing. Two guys trying to, to find ways through. Don't think there's going to be anything particularly explosive here. Uh, I do think ultimately. I just don't know that Mendes necessarily still has it in him to, to push it to that necessary level. Uh, Araldis showed us last time out that he can be exciting when he wants to be. Uh, I'm not sure that this is going to be one of those fights. This is just important for him to get a win. I think he will get a win. It's going to be very close. I'm going to take him by unanimous decision, however. All right. All right. In the uh, co-main event. Uh, I, I don't have my reader glasses on here. So <laughs> would you like me to read the would you? Would you <laughs> Welcome to Middle Age, everybody. Um, So, yes, the second of the three fights uh, on the televised card is Gary, Mr. Gary Russell (laughs) against Kiko Martinez. Gary Russell weighed in at 125 and three-quarter, just under the featherweight limit by a quarter pound. uh, And Kiko Martinez uh, well under the limit, 124 and a half. Uh, So you will make the first prediction here. Yeah, I don't... For me, the only difficulty in picking this is... Just 
making a prediction on exactly when this fight is going to end. Um, no disrespect to Kiko Martinez, who is a veteran. He's been around a long time. It's been a while since he had a truly, really significant win, perhaps not since he beat Bernard Dunn way back. Um, the last five or six years, every time he stepped it up, he has lost. He did surprisingly well in a losing effort against Josh Warrington, but that's a styles make fights thing. Like. Martinez likes to try to get in close and brawl with you, and Warrington's the kind of guy who will engage you in that kind of fight, and I think that as a consequence, you know, that maybe made Martinez seem a little bit better at this stage of his career than he is. I, I, the problem with Martinez is on the if he can't close Gary Russell Jr. down, Russell is just going to rip him apart from middle distance. If he does close him down, Russell's going to rip him apart on the inside. I just don't see... This is a levels fight. Mm -hmm. I just don't see... Kika Martinez is a perfectly serviceable uh, uh, contender level type fighter. Gary Russell Jr., alas, he is the Hades Comet of fighters. Um wish we would see him more regularly, but there is no denying his talent and skill. He's going to have too much skill and, importantly, too much speed. I think he's ultimately going to end up just taking him apart, possibly cutting him, certainly stopping him. I think he's going to stop him with either a corner stoppage or more likely a referee stoppage, perhaps with Martinez beating, and I'm going to say... Seven. Seven. Okay. Gary Russell. Mr. Gary Russell. Knockout in the seventh, according to Mr. Aaron Mulvaney. Uh, I think it's going to be quicker than that. It might be, yeah. Um, quicker being the operative word with all things Gary Russell. He's yep. just so fast. He's not a real heavy-handed guy, but you see a lot of early stoppages on his record, yep. KO2s, KO4s, because his hands are so fast, guys just can't react, can't do anything about it. I think Pico Martinez is one of those fighters who just doesn't have the tools, doesn't yep. have the equipment to deal with with what Gary Russell brings. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm a little bit influenced by the fact that Gary Russell is now officially He's the now Showtime Boxing Podcast <laughs> favorite fighter. Uh, you're not supposed to root in the media, but uh, but we, we like Gary Russell uh, after having him on the podcast twice in just a couple of weeks here. Um, just a charming guy, but a really talented fighter. Uh, I think it's going to get done considerably quicker than seven rounds. I'm going to say Russell by stoppage. In round three. I don't find that at all improbable either. I could certainly see that scenario. Right. Okay, and so we run into uh, possibly a, a similar sort of prediction game here with the main event where I have a feeling we're both going to be picking the same result. It's a matter of how quick it is. Uh, if I've got the right read on you, of course, we're talking about Deontay Wilder and Dominic Brazil. Uh, the weights, we talked with JDs about uh, Deontay Wilder, and that's the big story here uh, coming out of the way in 223 and a quarter up 11 and one quarter pounds from his previous fight against uh, Tyson Fury. Uh, Dominic Brazil, 255 and a half, uh, looked the way Dominic Brazil always looks. Uh, you know, it's a reasonably well proportioned, little soft in spots, but obviously in shape for this. Um, there were some, some interesting quotes. Uh, I thought the, the best part was when Steve Farhood uh, was interviewing Deontay Wilder and asked, is this going to be a shootout Res response? Oh, man, this is going to be a blowout. Uh, so that's the question uh, for us to determine. Is it going to be a blowout, or, or are we going to get several rounds of good action before the inevitable result that I'm sure we're both picking, which is Deontay Wilder by knockout? Um, I think he's going to get a few rounds out of this. Look, nothing would shock me. If Dominic Brazil came in and got bombed out in the first round, it wouldn't shock me. If he landed something big and, and got Wilder in trouble and, and we had a whole different kind of fight, 
Um, that wouldn't shock me either because that's, you know, Brazil can punch. He's big. They're both six foot seven. They're both huge heavyweights. Um, but I think what's most likely is that these guys exchange some leather and Brazil is really up for this, knows he needs to put forth a good fight here. He, he can't just, if he goes out in one or two rounds, that's kind of the end of him getting these sort of opportunities. So I think he's going to be really fired up. I don't think he has the tools to win, but I also think most likely he's going to push Wilder a little bit, have some moments. Round about the fourth or fifth round is when I think Wilder really starts hurting him visibly. And I'm going to say Deontay Wilder beats Anthony Joshua's number. Joshua stopped him in seven. I'm going to say Wilder gets him out of there in the sixth round to be able to have that little bit of bragging rights over his potential someday rival, Anthony Joshua. I'm saying Wilder KO six. What do you say, Kieran? A little bit with the co-main. Again, the issue for me was just, yes, picking the round. And... I've gone back and forth in my head about these two couple of, couple of scenarios in which this can unfold. One of is the one that you've just sketched out, that these two guys maybe test each other early. Um, Brazil makes life a little bit hard for Wilder, has his moments, Wilder eventually dials in and overpowers him. The other one is that maybe each guy tells himself not to get overly carried away early on and then one guy hits the other and the other one hits him back and it's on and I think that's probably what's going to happen I think I don't think necessarily that Deontay Wilder is going to come in he's, he's not going to do a Berman Stavern rematch off the top right but I think it might turn into that kind of scenario relatively soon and I agree with you that Brazil is going to try and make something of this and that is going to be his downfall uh, it's just difficult to see. It's one of those situations where Brazil tries to go into his shell, then he gets hit and he gets hurt and he gets stopped. If he tries to make a fight of it, he gets hit and he gets hurt and he gets stopped. I was 50-50 on which of those scenarios is a little bit more likely, partly just to create the debate and so that we have a big difference. Yes. I'm going to put my weight behind the other one, um, the, the opposite to what you suggested. I think this starts kind of fun. It gets more fun. Brazil gives everything, but he's out of there in three. Deontay Wilder, third round stoppage. Okay, and as you can surely hear uh, from all the clanging and banging, they're trying to uh, take apart the uh, LIU Brooklyn gym around us and, and kick us out of here. They want us out of here within three rounds, not six rounds. So uh, <laughs> I suppose we should get to the wrap-up. Unlike, unlike Dominic Brazil, we're not going to put up much of a fight. <laughs> we're going to go meekly. We <laughs> Plus, this means the end of our workday, so Precisely. they don't have to twist our arms too hard. Exactly. We've been working all the way to 3 p.m. on a Friday. What else do they want from us, for God's sake? Uh, so, look, thanks very much, uh, everyone, for listening. Thanks to all our guests. We had a great array of guests here. Uh, Matthew Macklin, Steve Farher, Mr. Gary Russell Jr., Al Bernstein, JDs. Is there anybody I missed? The one. The only. <laughs> Thank heavens for that. <laughs> Showtime Sports Director Podcast Seth Nyman for stepping in as well. Uh, this was great. Uh, I think uh, we had a, a fun afternoon here. A lot of excitement. You could definitely feel the, the excitement and the tension building up uh, for Saturday's fight. And, uh, we will join you at some stage after Saturday night's fight. Uh, hopefully right afterwards um, with a breakdown of what we hope is going to be a pretty good card from top to bottom. Remember... Showtime Championship Boxing Triple Header starts at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Three fights headlined by Heavyweight Championship, 
Deontay Wilder and Dominic Brazil. We'll be back after that fight. Until then, thank you for listening.